All right. Well, hello, listeners. Again, I'm Brenda Lone Baker. I'm a leadership coach and speaker. Welcome to Fearless Females Redefining Success in Women's Leadership, the interview series. I'm thrilled, really, to be interviewing women to see what we can learn from their experiences and really help other women in all kinds of careers create a map to leadership success and find the tools that they really need to get there and dream bigger dreams than they ever thought was possible. So I want to introduce to you my today, Dawn Smith, who is the CEO of Oasis, Oasis Financial Services. So welcome, Dawn, and thanks so much for agreeing to share your time with us. Oh, I'm happy to talk to you today. So why don't we start by you kind of telling me a little bit about what it is that you do. So great. So I own a financial services company, and we do comprehensive planning, goal tracking, and wealth management, so investment management, insurance, and cash solutions for our clients. Great. Close to my heart, because I come from the financial industry myself. Um, so how did you get to be where you are right now as CEO of your own financial services company? So um, I always thought that I wanted to be a business owner. Uh, my parents started a coin and stamp, which then in the 80s became a jewelry business, but they started that business when I was five years old. And so I watched my parents build a business from scratch based on a $10,000 inheritance my mother had gotten and my parents had me when they were very young. So when I was five, they were still very young. And I got to participate in that um, as a child, watching them build a business from scratch. So I always thought that I had some kind of entrepreneurial interest, although I didn't know what that would look like. And when I got out of college, um, Ameriprise Financial was hiring. And they, at the time, anybody could sort of come into the financial services industry. They would hire you and pay you a draw of a small amount of money for a year. And then you were self-employed. And, um, you know, there was a very, very high failure rate. But I took, I took that opportunity uh, when I was young. And I like to say young and dumb um, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right, right. So as you moved from there at the beginning where probably had very limited knowledge to where you are now, you know, what, did you see differences in the industry because you were a woman? Yes, I definitely did. So um, a couple of things. When I was starting out, I was young, I was cute, and I was from the Midwest, so super sweet and polite in my mannerisms and um, was building a practice in New England where people tend to be a bit more reserved, a bit more conservative. And um, I had a lot of those things, those experiences in the beginning when I was trying to build the business and was prospecting and talking to a lot of strangers. I had a lot of those um, uncomfortable experiences that young women can have when they're trying to make their way in business. And then I also saw a lot of 
sexism and sort of misogyny when I would get into financial advisory bullpens or away at conferences. And it was a little intimidating, um, you know, probably throughout all of my 20s and maybe even into my early 30s. Yeah. What do you think carried you through that? So when I'm asked by people how I got to where I am, I often say that um, I'm stubborn. And there were two things that kept me going in those early years when it was really hard, because I didn't think that for the 20 years that I was a financial advisor, I didn't think that I would be a financial advisor or stay a financial advisor. And for sure, the two things that kept me going were um, the one that's a little bit more noble and that I'm probably a little bit more proud of is the fact that I made real commitments to clients who a few of whom maybe had never invested before or invested large sums of money with me when I was very young and told me to my face that they did that because they trusted me and that I wouldn't cause them harm. They believed that. Right. And that very much caring about someone else's best interest and knowing that I had made a commitment to those folks kept me going when, when the times were very dark. And that was definitely one of the things. And I can remember instances when I was pushed hard and depressed and broke and maybe getting beaten up um, that I could really think about others and people that I had made commitments to and I cared about them I cared about what happened to them so that kept me going and I'm I'm glad to report that to you because that feels like I'm I like myself because of that (laughs) the the other more old-fashioned you know maybe less noble reason is I tend to either be very egotistical or very stubborn and I looked around me at people who were successful and it just made me angry There were a lot of people who I thought were traditionally successful, who I didn't think cared as much as I did, or or I didn't think they were as smart as I thought I was, or um, maybe even as kind, and it just made me mad. And so whether it be pride or stubbornness, it it really propelled me through some dark times, just this unwillingness to give up. I had an unwillingness to give up. That's, That's cool. I've, I've heard that before and, and people call it different things, whether it's stubbornness or just, um, I've heard it called a bunch of different things, but I, I think it, it definitely is one of those keys that I hear as I talk to women that are successful in, you know, leadership positions that they just weren't willing to give up. Um, do you think that there are certain, uh, things behind that stubbornness? Like, I mean, do you think your confidence in yourself plays into that at all? So when I was young, um, you know, some of our best gifts come from our biggest challenges. And when I was young, I internalized a message. It isn't that it, it isn't anybody else's fault. It's just the way that I perceive Mm -hmm. some things that happened in my life. I internalized that I was special when I could achieve things and that achieving things made me special. 
so now at 48 years old, having been having built a business and also having built a business in a traditional paradigm where I've made some significant and non-traditional um, changes or breaks from the paradigm that I think are more authentic to my voice. Definitely some of what led me through all of that was this belief, you know, it drove me when I was younger, this belief that I could achieve things. I saw that at a young age and that when I did, that's what made me valued and important. Mm -hmm. And that kind of came to a breaking point somewhere in my mid thirties because um, you know, it's not good enough. It, it really isn't good enough. And it, it's not, it's not an attitude where you can be just secure in who I couldn't be secure in who I am and sort of happy and content in my life. When I only believe that I was special if I accomplished things. But I will say that through the hard times in my 20s, that drive was a helpful drive to have. Mm hmm. Yeah. If you, if you think about, you know, that discovery of yourself and kind of uh, the comfort level that grows with who that really is and putting that out there, what do you think would be the one or two things that really kind of helped you find that person and, and be confident in putting that person out there? Do you mean the person who doesn't just achieve things? Uh, yeah, really. You know, I, I, talk to so many women that really um we all we all some or we sometimes hold ourselves back from things because we can't see being ourselves in that situation so there's this whole you know development of self over time but then having the confidence to put that out there and believing that you can be your true self in a situation um so i was kind of hearing that in what you were saying so so really my question is kind of probably twofold, you know, maybe what, what helped you really find that true self and then what really helped you have the confidence to put that self into situations and into your work? Yes, I have to say, Brenda, I think that that's so compelling and um, just such good conversations to be having with women, young women, and also more seasoned women, right. I would say, because it's, for me, a truth, a real truth was that I felt very much in my career, like, let's just say in my career first, and then I'll talk about home, but in my career, really felt like I was operating in a male world. I really yeah. felt that. And yet, there are other women in financial services, and I did have other women around me. It's so much of the training of what it takes, you know, at the time of what it would take to be a successful financial advisor, a good salesperson, a good consultant was not authentic to who I am as a person and did not operate within my value system. And so over the course of time, I learned through trial and error. Mm -hmm. I would try to do what I thought was more my way and then I wouldn't have success and I would question it. And then I would try to do what was taught to me that didn't feel real. And I felt like I was wearing a mask and that wouldn't really work. And so, you know, for me, I don't know with, within the op, within the culture and the, the world that I operated in, 
I don't, I don't regret any of the mistakes that I made and I don't regret my past because it did bring me here. And I, I believe that almost every day I was doing the best I could in the environment that I operated in, try, trying to be the best person I could be. I didn't know, I didn't know what we just talked about. I didn't know the twofold question you just asked me and I didn't know that what I was really trying to do was trying to find myself right. in, in, in a career and in a culture that didn't meet my needs. I didn't get that at first. And so I had to do it the way that I did it in order to get where I am in the work sphere. And I will also say that at home, it was very challenging because um, I started having children when I was 28 and, and I had my last child when I was 38. So I have four children over the course of a decade. And um, it was a lot. I had a more traditional uh, upbringing where my mom was home a lot, even though my mom and dad started the business together, she was uh, always around. And right. my ex-husband, I think, had the expectation that that would be our home life. And I really tried to meet all of those demands and all of those needs. And um, I think for women even today, a young, younger women as well as my generation, it can be hard because I was angry and resentful all the time. And I just didn't know how to reconcile it all. I did I, the whole juggling thing and balance thing was really hard for me for about 15 years. Right. <laughs> really hard. You just always feel like uh, no matter what you do, you're, you're not living up to expectations in some part of your life. So yes. no matter what you do, you don't win. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was horrible. Yes. It was terrible. <laughs> I hated it. I was unhappy. <laughs> Most of us do. Yes. So, so what do you think that you did or that you learned that helped you with that balance or that focus? Well, so one of, one of the lessons, and this was a big one for me, and I don't know what brought me to it, but it was the pain of all of the things that we've just discussed and all of that process. There was a time, and it was about, it was between 10 and 15 years ago now, Mm -hmm. um, that I came to this sort of breaking point and I realized that I couldn't be all things to all people and that I wasn't willing to be so unhappy and I didn't understand. I couldn't reconcile. I didn't understand why I was basically living the American dream and I was miserable and that was unacceptable to me. And so in my typical fashion, I just started trying to do different things to figure out what would work. So one of my superpowers is my ability to take risk. As an entrepreneur, that's a really helpful quality. Yeah. I do a lot of research and a lot of work with women. And I know that my ability to be a risk taker is less common among women. It's certainly less common among people, but of risk takers, uh, especially in business, tends to, that tends to be more of a, a traditionally male quality. Mm -hmm. So I like to talk through risk-taking with women because that's definitely been um, a helpful thing for me, a calculated risk. And then the second thing is I think because I have the ability to take a little risk, I'll try stuff. You know, I don't, I don't need, 
I don't want to just throw myself at things without some thought that it could work. But if I have, even in my brain, a 30% chance that something might work, I'll try it. And if it's not working, I'll try something else. And that's what started to happen that, that changed my path. It was sort of like I've heard that in order to be happy, you have to, your expectations have to align with your reality. So the way that I think about it is I spent my 20s trying to change my reality to meet my expectations. And then I spent the first part of my 30s trying to change my expectations to align with with my reality so that I could be happy and in it doing it the second way didn't work so I had to go back to to changing you know changing my um, reality to meet my expectations but I had to be more creative about how I did it and so I'll use my business as an example just as one example so um, if you're a financial advisor And somebody says to you, what's your favorite part about your business? Everyone that I ever asked that question, and I would get asked that question all the time, everyone I ever knew who was in the business and stayed in the business, let's say longer than 10 years, the answer to that question always, no matter what, was meet with clients. I love to be in front of clients. And what I found for myself is it's really true that I love my clients and I care very much about them. But doing the client meetings and meeting with clients is certainly not my favorite part of the business. And so then it was like, oh, and somebody just was kind enough. We were in a conversation and someone was kind enough to say to me, a a colleague, but kind of a friend of mine, well, what is your favorite part of the business? And um, I had to really think about it. And I said, I love running the business and growing the business. And it's exciting and fun and energizing to me. I love being out there getting new clients. I like that part. And, um, and in coming and in realizing that, and then coming up with it, that eventually it took another maybe five years, but what it led to in my particular company, which is different than any other financial advisory firm that's the size of mine is I pulled myself out of all day-to-day client meetings. And typically, in a, in a financial advisory firm that's the size of mine, there are 10 of us, I, I, have, I have nine employees, mm-hmm. the, the owner, the practice owner, is usually the top producer. And I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't meet with clients anymore. I, st- I stopped meeting with clients probably five or six years ago now. Now, when I say that, I am in maybe four to six client meetings a week but what happens is, is it's the financial advisors that are in my company have a reason for me to be there. They then mm-hmm. put me in the meeting. I'm never leading the meeting. And I don't run any client relationships just by myself anymore. And that, as far mm-hmm. as I know, is not common. And I don't know any other small practices that have done that. And it made me a lot happier. It changed the course of my career and it was a big deal for me to do that. And it's one example of how I started to try to live my career more truthfully to myself, but I had to take some risks to do what I've done. Yeah. And really recognizing what your strengths are and what your passions are, what really fuels you, I think was really key in that decision. Because mm-hmm. knowing that until you can really look inside and really figure that out honestly, 
um, it's hard to make those shifts. Exactly. That's awesome. Um, what do you think, you know, you mentioned you have nine people that work with you. Have you done anything, um, you know, how have you managed your work along with managing other people and their work? Right. So like everything else that I've shared with you, this, a lot of this was trial and error as mm -hmm. I've evolved it a bit. And what happened is, as far as I could get my vision in when I was first making these changes, there was about, there was about an 18-month period where I realized that I had basically um, done, a, I had done such a good job that I had written myself out of a job. <laughs> so I, I was coming to work, Brenda, and I was feeling useless at work yeah. because I had built this team around me of people that could just do all the work. And so I, I changed my, my path and I changed my role in my own company. And then I didn't know what to do with myself. And I didn't have any real role models in front of me who were trying to do what I was trying to do. So in order to go to the next level, um, of course, I hired a coach and um, really started talking with that person about, and, I, and what, I, what I do, and I encourage other women to do this, I have a, a core group of people and they change over, over my lifetime. It's not always the same group of people, mm -hmm. but I, I talk about things with people. And um, one of the things I do when I'm encouraging uh, increased financial confidence with women is I encourage women to talk to other women about money, money questions, money issues, what do you think? Um, because I think more dialogue really helps and, and it helps me. So I had a coach that I was talking to. There were a couple people on my own team who I just really opened up with. And, and I don't know if, every, if everyone as a, as a business owner could do that with, with employees, but I certainly did. And started express, just started expressing it. I, I, I heard Brené Brown um, very recently talking about vulnerability. Right. And one of the things I've gotten a lot more comfortable with in the last even five to 10 years is, is being vulnerable. And it is hard. It takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of honesty because I won't lie to you unless I'm lying to myself and getting through layers of stuff or denial or whatever it takes to get authentic also means opening myself up and getting vulnerable because I didn't know I made these changes to my company and then I just created a whole new set of unhappiness. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I think in these, in this growth process, um, because now I'm on another journey. I'm trying to go another step and make another change. And I have all these same feelings again. And now it's just getting to be um, a comfort. You know, it's not so far out of my comfort zone to make change and then find some pain and then grow through, through that pain. But always asking for help because for me, most of it comes from not always just copying what I see somebody else doing. Right. Sometimes it really is just, I don't know what this will look like when I'm finished, 
but I know I'm in a process that I at least believe will be helpful to me when I get through it. Yeah, really getting comfortable with that discomfort and the, and the, you know, not having the clear path or answer. Right. Yeah, that's yes. awesome. Um, so you mentioned a little bit, but I'm curious if, you know, what do you see as the key to really gaining the respect of those people that report to you or even, you know, before you were where you, you are now, the people that you reported to? Yes. So I consider um, myself a decent leader and I have um, in the last year really begun studying leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't know that I'm a level five leader. I may really only be a level four leader, but I really think I'm probably at least a level four leader. But my leadership style typically is one of a tremendous amount of authenticity mm -hmm. and um, trying to help others dig as deeply as I try to dig and be as authentic about what they're trying to achieve and then daring them to have the courage to do it. So um, in right. just in my financial advising relationship with clients, uh, I found that that was my personality style and it evolved through that. And one of the ways that I countered, because as I mentioned earlier in, in this um, conversation, I mentioned that most financial advisors will say that their favorite part of the business is meeting with clients. And that wasn't my favorite part of the business, but the relationship that I had with clients was incredibly important to me. And by pulling myself out of day-to-day -day meetings with clients and allowing others to step in and take my place made my business more valuable um, if I should wanna sell it. But it really took away a lot of the joy of um, my work and what, what gave it meaning for me. And so right. I didn't realize how much pain it would cause when I wasn't so important as a person to those clients anymore and I saw how replaceable I really am that was really hard and so one of the ways that I and, and and I realized that I realized what I gave up in order to get what I wanted right and so I saw that I needed to replace that love and that that giving of myself and um, the way that I do that now is I try not to worry so much that I'm touching every single client the way that I used to have to when I was fully responsible for all of the interactions with the clients. But I make sure that every week that I'm touching a, a certain amount, a certain number of clients at a certain level because right. it keeps me, it keeps my feet on the street. And then the second thing is um, I have strong mentoring relationships with, with people certainly with a couple of my employees that I'm, I'm really developing and mentoring and I'm able to put a lot of my energy and my love into them. And then just in the community, you know, I really, I really try to help a lot of women and um, it's, it's so, it's so rewarding and it gives me that feeling of meaning and that I'm having a ripple effect and that my life has a purpose. Um, so I, you know, that's just an example of how 
I lost it in one area, but the thing that I lost was really important to me. So I had to find a way to replace it in, an, in another area. That's great. So that's actually leads to one of my questions. And, you know, what, what fuels you professionally and what fuels you personally? So um, I, I really like that question. And I'm forgetting the gentleman's name who does the TED Talk. People, people don't care what you do until they know your why. Is it said, said Simon, back? Am I saying? Sinek. Simon Sinek. Thank you. So um, that matters. And I've spent a lot of time um, processing my why. And for me, what I realize, and I'm going to say this is professional, but it's also personal too. Um, my why for getting, like, why do you get out of bed in the morning and why should somebody care? So, so my why is that it's incredibly important to me to be able to impact helping somebody else get to their why. Mm -hmm. So I really, I really need to be a person for, for me, my calling is to be a person who is helpful to another person in the world. And um, how it will most often present itself is it will present itself with our clients and their relationship with their money, using their money as a, as a resource or a tool to be able to get closer to their own why, whether it be to change a career or to you know, have time to pursue a passion or whatever that is. So, so money can be a vehicle to allow me to use my, to live my purpose. The other thing, and it's, it's deeper seated for me, and this is more personal, um, is to help women, is really to help women find a way to express their true selves. Um, and what I still see is I tend to encounter a lot of women who are holding themselves back in a work area or in a um, career passion, and I tend to try to help them there. Um, but it isn't that every woman needs that. I think that just right now in the universe, that's where I find myself useful, and I just keep finding myself in situations where I'm trying to add value like that. Right. Right. And then person, and then the other thing I'll say, because it, I, it would be remiss if I didn't say it, and it's cliche and it's a truth for me, is to try to invest in my four children. I have two girls and two boys and a, and a, a deep, a very deep hope for me is that I put good people into the, into the world, people who create something out of nothing in whatever way that looks for them, mm -hmm. and that they are part of making the world a better place. I know that sounds so trite, but it's so deep for me and it's really real. So I, yeah. I have to say it as a mom, I have to say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mom too. I know I had shared it with you and most of my listeners know that I have six children that I share with my husband and four of them I made and two of them were gifts. And I totally am aligned with you on that. You know, much of my thinking and my being is about have I done enough to help them be the best them they can be? And what can I share with them to help enlighten them and ease their path? 
Um, so I'm, I'm totally with you on that one. <laughs> I don't think it sounds trite at all. I, it's deep into me as well. Um, I'm curious, you know, how do you feel like your communication and your ability to communicate has affected your success? Mm. I, I always say that my ability to have um, uncomfortable and courageous conversations has been a key to my success. So I communicate from as honest a place as I can always. And I run, I usually, if I, def, if I fall down in a certain way, I fall down by overstepping and by saying too much mm -hmm. rather than for holding back or not saying enough. And so I, I, I'm self-aware. I know that about myself. And so what I work to do in order to build more balance into my communication and into um, effectiveness with people, one of my areas for always vigilance is pausing. There are times that things don't need to be said, um, but there are people who have the opposite of that. They need to learn to speak their minds more frequently for their communication. For me, it's usually about holding back and, and making sure that I'm really listening and getting all the information that I need. I, I tend to be perceptive and um, empathetic and I get a lot of respect from others right now because of what I've been able to build and what I have to be careful of then is that I don't just jump in and start problem solving too quickly because right. I miss really right. important stuff when I do yeah. that. And also I have heard and I believe it that people, um, people resist what they're told and they embrace what they discover. Yes. So I feel like that's another level that I'm trying to reach in communication and, and being, being of service and being helpful to other people is by not having to constantly talk and say what I think right, and right. let ask, ask even better questions and then pull back and, and let people come to it themselves. So um, that's what I'm working on in my communication. But what has helped me and what I've gotten a lot of positive reinforcement about is the ability to say things that um, others might be too afraid to say or to, to, to potentially overstep. And a lot of times that has worked in my favor and it has enhanced and strengthened relationships with others who then now trust me more as someone they can confide in, you know, who they can count on. Right. That's great. Do you see differences in how men and women lead and do you see any advantages to either way or both ways? Yes. Although I'm hesitant, um, I'm hesitant to really answer that too deeply because um, I'm not always sure that I have a balanced view on that particular topic. Um, but I will share one, one learning or, or a thought that I have right now, and I want to put it out there because I have this unique experience to share with you, and then also maybe others would have feedback to this. 
there are certain things I do. I do a lot of work in, in confidence building for women. And I happen to be involved with a women's group. Uh, we do monthly meetings and we have influential women come and speak to our group. And some of the women who come and speak to our group, as well as things that I've seen and read over the years, uh, are about women being more confident. And one thing that I've always heard is that when women receive credit or praise for something, they tend to minimize themselves and say, oh, it was so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And, they, and they, they share and they spread the credit. And when a man is given credit for something, he says, oh, yes, that was all me. Um, I'm so great. And I've heard this a hundred different ways. And I've been to a lot of confidence talks where women are instructed to be more like men. And for me, and only for me, one of the things that irks me about that is I think that in that particular case, we should teach men to be more like women. <laughs> so um, what I want to be careful of, and I'm really interested in this subject, and it's part of the reason I was so excited to talk to you, and I am just so interested now that I know that you have podcasts, I'll, be, I'll want to listen to. Right. I want to hear what other women have to say on this subject. For me, I built a very successful business, and it's financially lucrative, and isn't that wonderful? And I get awards now all the time. People tell me I'm so great. And I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that I have some certain good skills, and I apply them to my business. But I'm getting a lot of credit, and the people who make all of this possible are not getting the credit. So every time I get an right. award, I am very, very quick to say, this is a team, this is a team effort. But in the financial services industry especially, individuals get recognized. Right. I would tell you, as a very confident woman, that that's some BS. And that the right thing for me to do in that case is not to be more like a man and learn how to take credit. The right thing to do is for all these men learn to say, without the six people next to me, I would not be standing here. Because if you ask me to be authentic, I know that's true. Right. So there are some certain messages I think we get as women about how we should be, you know, in order to be more confident that still teach us that we should change ourselves. Right. And what I think is if I'm really confident and I'm a good leader, then I'm going to try to get the culture and the men around me to change a little bit and do it more the traditionally female way because it's actually more humble and I think better. So, so, and you and I chatted about this before the interview and you know um, that that's one of my biggest, biggest concentrations is I really believe that women can't see themselves in positions because they, they really don't think they can be who they are and that that will work. And really what needs to happen is not about, you know, fitting into some mold or doing it like it's been done before, but really getting to know yourself and then creating what that leadership looks like for you, how you use your strengths and your best things and, and partner with people who have other abilities that can work well with you to really 
do the best you can and create something. Think outside the box, you know, really um, go in different areas than maybe it's been done before and that that's okay. And others will learn from that, male, female, everyone. Um, and take some, be able to take some positive things from that that they can then embody themselves. So I, I completely I agree with that. Yeah. I completely agree with that. So I, I, I can't even agree anymore with that. I, thank you. Yeah. And I have yeah, seen we were, that in we my own self. Yeah. I saw that in my own self, how I can see places where for a decade I had very self-limiting beliefs because I was looking at a paradigm and I was saying, I can't do it that way in order to do it. And then I got broken down enough. And see, this is what I'll always say. If you, if you step on my neck for long enough, <laughs> it doesn't actually break my neck. This is just me personally. Eventually I say, you know what? I get it. I'm not perfect, but I really don't need you to step on my neck like that. And it causes me to, it changes my thinking. And, um, uh, it, 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 having gone through several experiences like that personally, where I only learned because I got kicked in the stomach hard enough, right. but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't give up. So I had to come back and I had to look at it differently and, and it created more freedom. So, but I have mentored some women and I have to say this, I've mentored some women where it becomes very clear to me. I am not a glass half full kind of person by nature. I love to mm -hmm. say that I'm a super optimist, but in truth, I have anxiety, I have fear, I, I'm not Pollyanna about things. And in some ways, to be a good business owner and an entrepreneur and to change paradigms and do things, I think it's easier, it's easier to do that if you're a person who just is always optimistic and sees the glass half full. That's not my nature. But I've mentored two different women who um, I can see very clearly that when I, they're in my profession and when I speak with them about the kind of challenges they're having, what they, sh what they have shown me and how they've internalized the messages that they've gotten, both of them have internalized those messages in a way that, that pushes them down further. They've taken some external messaging that they've gotten that doesn't line up with who they are. Right. And they don't even realize how they've, they've made it another reason that they cannot be successful. Right. And I did the same thing for a certain period of time. And I have to watch it in myself even now when I'm encountering the next challenge. Mm -hmm. But when it gets bad enough, I'm able to finally say, this is just ridiculous. And you know what? It's not even a truth. It's just, it's just a way that things are perceived. And it doesn't have to be this way. And instead, it can be this way. And I can look at it in a totally new way. And right. that's something that I think a lot of us as women need to be cognizant of and, and help each other with because it's shifting the perspective and shifting the paradigms. Right that gives us more room to, to be ourselves and be successful. Right, and practice it, exercise it like a muscle because it doesn't yes. just happen overnight. You gotta keep trying it, like, like you've said several times in different things. Try, try it and try it again and try it again and shift a different way a little bit um, just to see where you can get to. How, how would you define success? 
for me, um, success doesn't always look like how I think it's going to look when I set out for something. So I think in almost every situation, success should mean some growth happens uh, for me personally. But I will say that I've, I've had my greatest successes, which when I think of success, I think of an achievement. And I've already shared that that's sort of how I was from a very young age. That's my, that was my perception was shaped that way. Success means achievement. It means doing something, hitting a goal, checking a box. And the older I've gotten and the more depth I've had in my life, um, I love all those Pinterest quotes about success, you know, successes that my children want to call me just to check in or successes spending five minutes of quiet time with myself and just being able to like myself and sit quietly in a moment, you know, like I have all of those sort of right brained and existential views of success. And I have my traditional ones. I operate in a capitalist society, in a sales-driven organization. Right. And I'm, I'm, I've been here for 25 years. I've been affiliated with Ameriprise. And I'm shooting for the top 100 financial practices. And I think right now we're number 300. Wow. And I'm killing it. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm at it. I want that goal. So I have some of those very... I train for marathons and I'm really trying to hit a, a marathon in three hours and 45 minutes. And for me, that's an elusive goal. And I've been trying to do it for 20 years and I keep changing things and I hired a running coach and I've got all those sort of competitive driven goals as well, because that's authentically part of who I am too. Right. So yeah, it's, it's all there, all the mushy stuff yeah. and then all the other stuff too. What, what would you go back and tell your 16-year-old self? Ask for help. Yeah. Fast. Don't wait. That's <laughs> right awesome. away. Get help. <laughs> Don't ever think that you got it. Don't ever say to somebody, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. The quicker you can say, I'm not sure. Could you explain that? Could you help me? <laughs> I would have gotten further faster by not thinking that I needed to do it all or that I needed to know things. I wish I would have allowed myself more freedom to not know, to, to fall on my face from, from a very young age, to revel in the failure, to just know I was going to be okay and that those were the things that were going to get me where I needed to be. I didn't, right. I, I learned that by all the failures, but, but I, it took me too long. Who, who do you look up to as the leader? Oprah. Oprah? Oprah. That's awesome. And do you have a quote that you love? So my favorite quote, quote is fall down seven times, get up eight. Love it. That's a great one. Of course. I mean, of course. That's like the theme of my life. That, that's that definitely. I love the movie Rocky. Of course, I love the movie Rocky. <laughs> that's so great. So great. Don, thank you so much for your time and all of your really great answers. I think you gave some really different points of view, and 
I think when people listen, they're really going to be opened up to some, some different options, some different ways of thinking that, that could really be helpful to them. And um, again, you know, my hope is that other women will be inspired by hearing this and will really dream bigger and move forward on their path with confidence and drive. And uh, I want to thank all of the, the listeners. Please spread the word and share what you've learned here with others. If there's someone that you really want to hear interviewed for Fearless Females, um, please connect me with her or send me her name and why you think she would be great to interview and I'll reach out. For more information, please check my website, www.innerovation.com. And you can subscribe to my podcast on various podcast channels and uh, follow me on Instagram or Twitter and be sure to like Innerovation on Facebook to stay in touch. I hope you all have a great day. Thanks so much.